Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. continuing our study on a closer look at 12 ordinary men. Now, I have so much to rifle through tonight, so I'm going to try to not do it too fast, but at the same token, you know, make some headway. So the last time we were together, we talked about um, Peter being a fisherman. We talked about the three different types of fish that they actually caught in the region, and what was the name of the fish that was probably the one that had the coin in it when, in fact, Jesus sent him, sent Peter to the sea to pay the taxes and he had to get the coin? What was the name of that fish? Does anybody remember? Barbel. Oh, you were listening. Good class. That's wonderful. Okay, well, either way, either way, you wrote it down. I'm impressed, okay? I'm happy about that. And then also, there's this type of fish that they still actually serve if you go anywhere over near the Sea of Galilee, and it's properly known as St. Peter's fish. Mushed, mushed. Okay, so all of you get A's. That's wonderful. Okay, so... So we're right back on target. So we're going to pick up right where we ended off. So during this time where they're all out fishing, we know what's going on with them. Uh, Capernaum was the major town on the north tip of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus made Capernaum his home and the base of his ministry for several months. This is exactly where we left off. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, the 11th chapter. And we're going to look at verses 20 through 24. Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24, and I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified Translation. So beginning with verse 20, it says, Then he began to denounce the people in the cities in which most of his miracles were done. Now he, meaning Jesus, okay? Because they did not repent. And what does that mean? Here's the qualifier. And change their hearts and lives. That's what it truly means, as we know, to repent. Woe, judgment is coming to you, Shorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, cities of the Gentiles, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Their hearts would have been changed and they would have expressed sorrow for their sin and rebellion against God. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the pagan cities of Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, are you to be exalted in heaven for your apathy and unresponsiveness? Will you descend to Hades, the realm of the dead? For if the miracles done in you have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Wow. Now, He's really being very, very hard. Um, well, I should say, on, on that city, Shirazim, because it was near Capernaum, which meant since Capernaum was where he made his, you know, made it like his home, they would have heard his teachings a lot. So they would have heard his teachings and still remained very unrepentant. And he just really didn't like that. So that's why he kind of like blasted uh, them in that way. So we kind of needed to know that. However, he did pronounce woe 
to both Capernaum and Bethsaida. And <clears throat> woe meaning grievous distress, affliction, or trouble. He really was not playing with them. Now the ruins of the synagogue in Capernaum are still visible. Right now, today, they're still visible. Just a block away, archaeologists found the ruins of an ancient church. Early tradition dating back at least to the third century claims this church, now this is interesting, was built over the house of Peter. So Peter again. You're hearing a lot about Peter, right? Archaeologists, <laughs> excuse me, have found many signs that Christians in the second century treated this particular site with reverence. It may very well have been the house where Peter lived. It's a short walk away from the edge of the lake. So that's why that assumption really was made. Now, this is the part I like about this. And I said we were going to talk about this a little bit. Here is a perfect example of how powerful our words are. Because remember what I said, those cities still remain in ruins today, which means thousands of years ago when Jesus said woe unto them and made that profession, he did that thousands of years ago. Why is it that still today that's intact? That's the key here. So the point being is if you or you or I say something, whatever we say, we should expect it to be. And we don't, I think the thing that gets a lot of people tripped up is you hear me say this all the time, there's seed, there's time, there's harvest. If we don't see the harvest once we say it, we just consider it not done, and that's not correct. There still has to be that time factor. And you know, think back to when you were like in elementary school, because I don't know what they do in elementary school now, but we used to actually make little seedlings. You know, you used to get the little package of seeds. I would get so excited, and then you put it in a little, little tiny little thing, like this big, and then you just get so excited when you see the little green sprout through, and oh, if you're really blessed, eventually a flower shows up, and oh, you just feel like it's the most magnificent thing. Well, our prayers are like those little seeds, okay? We're putting them in fertile ground because the whole entire Godhead lives within us. So when we speak, it's the same as Jesus speaking through us, as long as it lines up with his word. Now, if you all speaking some crazy stuff, that's totally different. But I mean, you know, I, I, let's be clear. But if it lines up with his word, it's the same thing as him speaking it. So you're planting that seed. Don't get, he doesn't tell you at the time you plant the seed when the, the, the harvest is going to come. One of the things, there's a commercial, and I'm not going to get into what it's about, but one of the things I like about the commercial is it says, no one is born with an expiration date. And I happen to like that commercial for that very reason, because no prayer comes with the date of harvest on, that you're given immediately. You do not know. You just know you say the prayer, that time has to elapse, but he will never fail you. The harvest will come right on time when it's supposed to. He protects the seed. You only, Oh, this is, thank you. This is another way of looking at it. When you plant that seed, he knows when the rainy season is going to be. He knows when the drought is going to be. So the seed kept in that soil is protected from those things. Wasn't that wonderful? The Holy Spirit just gave me that. Okay. So, I mean, that was so wonderful. 
wonderful. Because the point is, we might want the thing to be harvested right away and have the little green thing come right away. Then a storm comes, washes the whole thing up, and ruins it. But he knows. So we need to just be grateful and keep thanking him, knowing that our seed is protected and the harvest will come at the appropriate time. I like that. But here is the point. We're learning again. Always Jesus is our perfect example. And he's showing us what he said, just like when he talked about the fig tree and it withered and died, he spoke that these cities would have woe brought upon them. They would be distressed. They would be ruined, and they still are today. And I love that. So that's something that we truly, truly can learn from. That is why we have to be so careful, though, because it's not just in prayer that our words manifest into a harvest. If you are speaking to, see, children, maybe because you know we have five, so children, are, they're always on my brain. I love children. But you have to be very careful when you're speaking, and speaking to a child. You know, they can be special sometimes. They have their little moments, and they can push us to the brink. But you need to just really be careful, because you don't want to say something that can totally destroy their life with the things you say. And it's not just limited to children. It could be one of your friends. It could be somebody that you've been friends with for 20 years. You can say something and ruin the whole thing. It could be, definitely could be a spouse. We already know that people, the divorce rate is way higher than probably ever, okay? And I guarantee you it's because of some words that were spoken that people wish they could take back. So we just have to be, you know, because it's sort of like you can get away with something when you're six or seven. You can't get away with something like that when you're 67. The point is somewhere along the line you got to grow up. So we as believers have to grow up. And we have to get to a point of realizing we've got to be mindful of what comes out of our mouth. Because like I told you last week, and again, you'll hear me say it all the time, whatever it is that you want in your life, it's in your mouth. You've got to be careful of the words that you say. Now, I'll give you an example because I wanted to share this with you. You can turn really quickly to Joel's gospel. Well, it's not a gospel, but Joel, the book of Joel, the third chapter, the 10th verse, because I thought this was really cute. Joel 3.10, in the Amplified, it says, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. And then in the message, it says, announce this to the goddess nations. Prepare for battle. Soldiers at attention. Present arms. Advance. Turn your shovels into swords. Turn your hoes into spears. Let the weak one throw out his chest and say, I'm tough. I'm a fighter. Hurry up, pagans. Wherever you are, get a move on. Get your act together. Prepare to be shattered by God. Obviously, they're prepared to go into battle, okay? But the point is, we sit up and we all sing that beautiful song, Give Thanks. You know, give thanks to the Holy One. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. We all know that song, right? It's a beautiful song. Why do you think it's there? It's there because it's it's putting into existence what you want to have. In other words, whatever it is that you want is in your mouth. These people are preparing for battle. They didn't want them going out there feeling defeated like wimps that had nothing. They wanted them to feel strong. And that's how you have to be no matter what your situation is, what you're faced with. Don't keep speaking 
the challenge, speak the result. And when you speak it, watch it manifest and watch that harvest come. I love that. So anyway, now let's get back to Simon Peter. Now you may not have known that he had a wife. This is clear in Luke's gospel, the fourth chapter and the 38th verse. And it's obvious he had to have had a wife. I'm just gonna share it with you out of the Amplified because it says, when Jesus got up and left the synagogue and went to Simon Peter's house, now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him to help her. Well, obviously you can't have a mother-in-law unless you have a wife. Okay, so that's very, very clear. The fact that Peter took his wife on his apostolic missions indicates that they may not have had any children. I mean, or if they did, they must have been grown because hopefully they didn't just leave little children somewhere. However, scripture doesn't really tell us whether he had any children or not, so we really don't know. We don't know anything else about his domestic life, which goes back to some of those little details that we don't know, like that was something that was posed as a question uh, last week, you know, uh, meaning there's so many things in scripture that give us the gist, but they don't give us all those little tiny details. So we just know that Peter had a wife, we don't know anything else about his d domestic life at all. It was after all the Lord who chose him to be the leader. Peter was formed and equipped by God's sovereign design to be the leader. An important point is that Christ himself shaped and trained Peter to be the leader. Therefore, when you look at Peter, you see how God builds a leader. And when you look at yourselves, and when you look at people around you, when you look at people that you know, if you really look and pay attention, you can see the hand of God in their lives. You can see how he's doing and shaping and molding their outcome if you really, really pay attention. Now, Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than any other name except Jesus. No one speaks as often as Peter, and no one is spoken to by the Lord as often as Peter, and we already know because Peter was kind of like, you know, he needed to be spoken to quite a bit. Not one of these ordinary men is so frequently rebuked by the Lord as Peter. And no disciple, I thought this part was very, very interesting, no disciple ever rebukes the Lord except Peter. So Peter was something else, okay? Turn with me to Matthew, I'll prove it to you. Matthew's Gospel, the 16th chapter and verse 22. <laughs> Peter was really something. So... Matthew 16, verse 22, in the New King James Version, it says, Then Peter took him aside, meaning Jesus. He's taking him aside. Can you imagine? And began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it for you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, of course, he was trying to protect him. But, I mean, really? You're going to step to Jesus like that? But Peter sure did. If we look at it in the easy to read, it says, Peter took Jesus away from the other followers to talk to him alone. Praise God, at least he did that. He began to criticize him. He said, God save you from those sufferings, Lord. That will never happen to you. Then in the message, I mean, Peter is something else. In the message, then Jesus made it clear to his disciples that it was now necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, submit to an ordeal of suffering at the hands of the religious leaders to be killed 
and then on the third day be raised up alive. Peter took him in hand. Now, I thought this was interesting. He took him in hand, which means he put his hands on him, okay? Protesting, impossible master, that can never be. Only Peter would do something like this. So no one else, though, confessed Christ more boldly or acknowledged his lordship more explicitly. Yet no other disciple ever verbally denied Christ as forcefully or as publicly as Peter did. No one is praised and blessed by Christ the way Peter was. Yet Peter was the only one Christ ever addressed as Satan. Do you see how it's almost like a seesaw with Peter? You know, he really is up or down one way or, or another. The Lord had harsher things to say to Peter than he ever said to any of the others. Now, see, in a way, I find comfort in that, in that sometimes if you think back in your life, you may have had a parent who seemed harder on you, like if you had siblings, like, why in the world they're so hard on me? Or you may have had a teacher that it was like, this teacher is just picking on me. She doesn't pick on anybody else. Why is she picking on me? Perhaps they saw something in you that they were trying to pull out for you to reach your full potential. So rather than us when you, you know, well, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. but rather than think sometimes when people are coming to you with something, it's not because they're trying to be mean-spirited or hurt you all the time. Now, sometimes it may be. That's why you have to try the spirit by the spirit. But a lot of times it really could be that they're just trying to help you reach your potential or get even better at what you do. So it just gives you a different way to think about it. Now, all of this contributed to making Peter the leader Christ wanted him to be. Now, God took a common man with a wavering, impulsive, unsubmissive personality, meaning he did not sound good. I mean, none of those adjectives make him sound very attractive at all. But he shaped him into a rock-like leader. That, to me, is just above amazing. Peter was the greatest preacher also among the apostles, and in every sense the dominant figure in the first 12 chapters of Acts, where the church was born. We see in Peter's life three key elements that go into the making of a true leader. The first, the right raw material. The second, the right life experiences and the third, the right character qualities. I'll repeat that. He had three key elements that really made him a true leader, that went into making him a true leader. The first, the right raw material. The second, the right life experiences. And the third, the right character qualities. Now there is an age old debate whether true leaders are born or made. Peter is a really strong argument for the belief that leaders are born with certain innate gifts, but must also be properly shaped and made into a true leader because he was just, he was extra special. Now it could be said, could be said rather, that Peter had the God-given fabric of leadership wove into his personality from the very beginning. 
He was made of, like I said, the right raw material. Now, of course, it was the Lord who fashioned him this way, where? In his mother's womb. Turn with me, and many of you are familiar with the scripture, but it it's, bears repeating. Go to Psalm 139, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. And let me know if you're there, because I really want you to see this. Okay. Starting in the New King James Version, it says, For you formed my... What? Yes. One thir Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. Okay. Starting with verse 13 in the New King James Version. For you formed my inner parts, inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, yet being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now, I like the message eh, a little bit better. It says it this way. Oh, yes, you shaped me first, inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you. Hi, God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I even lived one day. I love that because that has to always give us comfort. No matter what you may be walking through and growing through at the time, know that before you made your entrance into the earth realm, God already knew. I, just, I mean, oh, anyway, I, always, I like that. <laughs> okay, so this is really true for each of us. I mean, it, it really is. We entered into the earth realm with certain God-given qualities. Sometimes we can see this in others more than ourselves. You know, for instance, you may be able to see certain things about your children or about, I don't know, your relatives or your friends or your spouses. You know, you can see things in them. You know, and you, you know it's there, but yet and still you don't really see too much about yourself or, or you might be really missing it and really not seeing certain qualities in yourself. Um, and I can only give, I can give the example of the daughter that most of you remember, you know, Dr. Argerita with the flute that comes here to play the flute. Okay, well, we knew from the time she was a little girl that she was going to do something in the arts. We just kind of like knew that. You know, you just know from watching your child, you know. So it was a blessing because we could kind of guide her in that direction, knowing that that was what was good for her. And I mean, I would like to think our parents did that with all of us, but you know what? They may not have known 
how to do that. Uh, you know, but that's okay. Because again, you can't fault people for what they don't know. But now you know it, so you can mentor other people or you can do it with your children, grandchildren, or whomever it is that you see, even your friends. You can still do that with them and try to encourage them. They could, you could have a friend that's 75 years old, okay? That does not mean that they're done. They have not expired, okay? So you can encourage them. You may see that, oh my goodness, you are so good at decorating. Encourage them with that. Who knows? Maybe they'll have a decorating business. I mean, Martha Stewart is not the only one who supposedly can decorate. But all I'm saying is, we, you know, we kind of forget. We, we tend to, which is why you hear me sometimes tell you we need to dream. We forget about our dreams. We think we hit a certain age. I don't know why we think this. That's the world telling you that lie. Okay, that you think when you hit a certain age, oh, well, it's all over for me. It is not over ever. That's the thing you have to remember. Because even when you transition, it's not over. So it's never over. So you might as well get with it and, and enjoy the time that you have. That's how I look at it. I mean, just makes sense to me. So all of us, every single one here, and every single one that's hearing my voice. We were all born with a purpose requiring certain gifts and talents that God equipped us with. He is not gonna ask you to do something that you cannot do. He won't do that. That's not the character of the God we serve. Now he did this by giving us these certain qualities when we were born because he really wanted to have them in place so that what he desired to mold us into it was already there for him to work with. So he knew what he was doing, because remember, he knows our whole entire life before even one day was lived. So we have to have what we need to be able to do what he called us to do. So never get frustrated. You know, like sometimes it might be something you're trying to master. You know, like, well, I don't know. Like sometimes, this used to get to me sometimes, you'll see people who say, well, I'm not technically, I, I don't know about technology, I, 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 I don't. You don't know about it because you chose not to know about it. You can know about it once you stop and say, you know what, I'm going to learn this. You can learn whatever it is you choose to. You are the one who has to choose to do it. And God has equipped you with the ability to do it. And you must always remember that. That is so, so important. He is our creator. And as we just read, he knows everything about us and every day that we will live before we were ever born. That is really amazing. You need to stop and meditate on that sometimes and wrap your head around that, okay? Because it's almost like this great adventure that we're on. We don't really even know 100% all that we're gonna do yet. I mean, I think that's so exciting. Because I sit, you know, and I'm thinking about when they told me I couldn't have children, and I have five. <laughs> I mean, I think that's marvelous, okay? And then on top of it, I have four grandchildren. Don't you know the enemy is really upset? I mean, I think it's my, so I don't even know what's gonna happen next. I, to me, it's almost like you get to open a present, literally, that's why they have the, whatever that thing is, I don't know the saying, but something about today is present, it's like a present, every day is a present to you, it really is. So we really need to look at it that way. So there are rather obvious features in Simon Peter's natural disposition that were critical to his leadership ability. And these are not generally characteristics that can be developed merely by training. This goes back to those God-given, okay, gifts. They were innate features, okay, or natural features, part of Peter's temperament. The first one was inquisitiveness. 
When looking for a strong leader, you want someone who asks a lot of questions. Okay? Just like, all right, I'll go back. People who are not inquisitive simply don't make good leaders. I mean, think about it. Okay, I'm going to give you this example. I don't know why, because it just came to me. I think it's good. Say you're stuck in an elevator. Not that we're ever going to be stuck in an elevator. I have been, but we're not going to be. But say you're stuck in an elevator, and you're with somebody who does not have leadership quality. They may just sit down in the elevator and just wait and see what's going to happen. You know, By and by, somebody will come. Okay, but somebody with leadership, they're trying to figure out, okay, what button do I push? Do I move the panel up here? If I do, that, there's a difference. You get what I'm saying? So I, I tried to give you an example that I think you could relate to really fast. There is a difference. Some people are almost like, as you would think, natural-born leaders, and other people just are not, okay? And if they're not, you can't always make them be that. You know, so we, you just have to understand that. And that's okay, because we're not all alike, okay? Um, curiosity is crucial to leadership. People who are content with what they don't know, and there are people who are. They're very content if they don't know much. That's okay. If they're content with what they don't know, happy to remain ignorant about what they don't understand. Now, see, that sounds like a play on words, but it's a very serious statement. If you read something, this is perfect. If you read something, even in scripture or anywhere, you read it, you don't thoroughly understand it, but you're okay with that, that's not really, that's not a leader. Okay, because that just means you're kind of complacent, like, well, I think it means this, or I'm going to sound out this word and hopefully it means this, but you don't know what it means. Or if someone says something to you, and you're not sure of the context. Because remember, like I said, words have different meanings, OK? And we've heard the apostle even say that. Like, he always uses that thing about a fox, OK? You know, whenever you hear him teaching. You know, a fox can be an animal, an actual animal with a bushy tail. Or it can be a, a slang statement that was out, like, in the 50s and 60s about a cute girl. They called her a fox. You know, so everybody who knows the apostle, you know that whole thing. The point that I'm making to you is different words can have different meanings. So if someone says something to you and you're not 100% sure, don't go off all cocked off of what they said. Go find out all of the meanings and put it in the right context before you start judging what was said. Again, people's lives can be changed and ruined all because you just decided to remain ignorant when it comes to certain things. You don't ever want to do that. That is not a leader. I'm not saying that you, you may not want to be a leader, but just understand that. If you are complacent about what hasn't been analyzed and comfortable living with challenges that haven't been solved, people like that can never lead. That's not a leader, okay? And it's okay. You can love them anyway. But understand that's not a leader. Leaders need to have an insatiable curiosity meaning they were never satisfied. They want more and more and more. They want to know more and more and more. That's a leader. They need to be people who are hungry to find answers. Knowledge, after all, we know is powerful. Whoever has the information has the lead. I mean, that's like common sense. If you want to find a leader, 
Look for someone who is asking the right questions and genuinely looking for the answers. See, that's the key, genuinely looking for the answers. Not just you know, trying to be somebody like, oh, you know, not that, but genuinely trying to help, genuinely trying to find the answers. That's a leader. You will find the sort of inquisitiveness normally shows up in early childhood. This I thought was very interesting. Most of us have come across children who ask question after question after question. Now, adult, as adults dealing with these children, we might find it annoying. I mean, being authentic, we might really find it annoying and just want to tell them, go take this toy and go sit over there. You know, because after a while, you know, you get tired. You know, for instance, you know a child who asks a question, you do provide them with an answer. And then they turn around and say, why? OK. And you sit there and provide them with a more in-depth answer. And yet again, they turn around and say, why? OK. Now, some of you may remember scenarios like this even when you were a child. OK, you may have done the same thing. And here's key. How was it handled with you when that was done? Did people shut you down to make you feel bad about asking the questions, to make you feel as if you should just be quiet and not ask more questions? Because what they didn't realize was they were actually shutting down the leadership qualities within you. So this is why this, this study is so important, because we can go back. We're learning so much about ourselves through these 12 ordinary men. You need to sit and spend some time and go back to the time when you were a child and ask yourself that question. When you were inquisitive and when you were asking questions, did people encourage that? Or were people trying to shut you down? As an adult, it can still happen, okay? So it doesn't just have to be that you were a little child. You could be somebody working on a job and you wanna know more, and they still are trying to shut you down, especially certain people, because they're like, what are you trying to do, get my position? Like, really? I mean, we're all here working. It's not like we're independently wealthy and own the place and we're sitting home eating bonbons. So if we're all here working, so you have, you know, you're number one and I'm number two, or you're this and that, you're working, right? So I mean, really, we're all on the same team. But people don't always see it that way. And since everybody is not a believer, they're not all Christians, I understand you have to put up with a lot. But understand, you have to see this about yourself so that you don't let it thwart you and you don't let the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that the enemy will use people to present to you keep you from achieving all that God wants you to achieve. That is super, super, super key. The best problem solvers are people who are driven by an unquenchable enthusiasm for knowing and understanding things. In the gospel accounts, Peter asks more questions than all of the other apostles combined. He literally does. It was usually Peter who asked the Lord to explain <laughs> his difficult sayings. I'm laughing over because I can just imagine Peter like, what are you talking about? I don't understand that. Could you explain it? Turn with me to Matthew. I'm going to prove it to you. Matthew's gospel, the 15th chapter and the 15th verse. This is Peter addressing the Lord. <laughs> um, Matthew 15, verse 15, in the New King James Version, says this. Peter answered and said to him, meaning Jesus, explain this parable to us. 
And in the message, she says, Peter said, I don't get it. Put it in plain language. Okay? In other words, again, he's still kind of like challenging Jesus because it's like he wasn't going to just sit there if he didn't understand it. Now, turn over to Luke. Luke's Gospel, the 12th chapter and the 41st verse. Luke 12, verse 41. In the New King James Version, then Peter said to him, meaning the Lord, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And then in the message he says, Peter said, Master, are you telling this story just for us or is it for everybody? Again, he's always pushing the envelope on Jesus. Now, it was Peter who always pushed, always he did it. He just always did it. It was Peter who also asked how often he needed to forgive. I mean, because I guess he was contemplating, why do I really have to do that too? So go back to Matthew, and we're going to look at chapter 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him, meaning Jesus, and asked, Lord, how many times will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him and let it go? Up to seven times? And then in the message, he says, at that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Because I guess that probably, when you think about it, even to many of us today, that just seems like, oh, that's so hard. But if you're really walking with the love of God flowing through you, it's really not hard at all. You just automatically kind of do it. It was Peter also who asked about what reward the disciples would get <laughs> for having left everything to follow Jesus. I mean, he really just asked everything. And you find this out. You're already in Matthew. Just turn over to chapter 19, and we're going to look at verse 27. Matthew 19, verse 27. And the Amplified, it says, then Peter answered him, meaning Jesus, saying, look, we have given up everything and followed you, becoming your disciples and teaching you as teacher and accepting you, rather, as teacher and Lord. What then will there be for us? In the Message Bible, it says, then Peter chimed in, we left everything and followed you. What do we get out of it? Which, you know, that sounds like, oh, how could Peter do that? But you know what? There are people who, I mean, I've actually had at different times people who have wanted to serve in Ministry of Helps, and they want to know what do they get paid. You know, like they just sort of met in there, for those of us who are in Ministry of Helps, we all laugh. <laughs> it's like, how do you get paid? We'll give you another job. So Peter, hey, I say that to say Peter is not so unlike many people that we know. So we can't beat up on Peter too bad. Again, it was Peter who asked about the withered fig tree. If you turn to Mark now, turn to Mark's gospel, and we're going to look at the 11th chapter, verses 21 through 25. Mark 11 verses 21 through 25. I'm going to share it with you first out of the Amplified. And verse 21 says this, And remembering, Peter said to him, Rabbi, Master, look, 
The fig tree which you cursed has withered. Jesus replied, have faith in God constantly. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, in God's unlimited power, that's the qualifier, okay? In God's unlimited power, but believes that what he says is going to take place, it will be done for him. Here's the qualifier in accordance with God's will. For this reason, I am telling you, whatever things you ask for in prayer, here's the qualifier, in accordance with God's will, believe, what does believe mean? With confident trust that you have received them and they will be given to you. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, drop the issue, let it go, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions and wrongdoings against him and others. I really, really like this. Um, I'm gonna read it to you also in the message, but, Oh, this is just a little sidebar. Sometimes people make much ado out of nothing when it comes to, okay, when it, uh, uh, mm, when it comes to how we pray. You know, like some people make this big deal, like I have to go and I have to kneel and I, all the rest of this stuff. I thought this was an interesting little tidbit. That's the only reason why I'm sharing it with you. The common posture for prayer among the Jews, the Jewish people during that time, was to just stand. They didn't have all of this stuff where they got to kneel, you got to cover your head, and all the rest of this stuff. So, you know, and I like this, and I just pulled this because I wanted to share this with you. Matthew's Gospel, you can just, just jot, jot it down. Matthew's Gospel, the sixth chapter and the fifth verse, the Amplified Translation says, also, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray publicly, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets so that they may be seen by men. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, they already have their reward in full. In other words, you know, we don't have to go through all of that. It is totally something that is unnecessary. Okay, so now I'm going to read Mark's Gospel the 11th chapter, the same verses, 21 through 25, out of the message, because I like how this, this one, how it says it. So it says it this way. In the morning, walking along the road, they saw the fig tree shriveled to a dry stick. Peter, remembering what had happened the previous day, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is shriveled up. Now I'm going to pause here. This is what's so important about Peter's inquisitiveness. You see, the other people, the other, you know, apostles walking along, they wouldn't dare say that. You know, just like so many of you, oh, I wouldn't dare go up and, and ask Minister Scott. Or I wouldn't dare go and say anything to the apostle. Okay, so you know what? You wouldn't get any knowledge because you're not gleaning anything from them because of your own whatever thing you have in your mind, okay? God's not a respecter of persons. If there's something that you can get, 
Be inquisitive. Find out what it is. See, Peter did that. That's why Peter could easily, well, not necessarily easily, but why he could become the leader, because he gleaned more wisdom from those around him because of that curiosity and inquisitiveness. Because he asked Jesus or addressed Jesus about the fig tree, this is what Jesus could then turn around and say. Whereas if he didn't, maybe Jesus would have just not even bothered to say anything. Okay, we don't know. That's the thing for you. If you're on your job, you want to know, I don't understand how to do this on this computer. I don't really get this. But I know that my supervisor knows how. Ask. Don't sit there and be afraid to ask. All she is is another person. Remember, she's working the job too. So if she's working the job, it doesn't make her any better than you. She just has a different position. But glean the knowledge because you don't know when you're going to need it. Don't just sit there and be still. We need to... Come on, get with it. Okay, but anyway, this is Jesus' answer. Jesus was matter of fact. This is what he said. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it. And nothing will be too much for you. This mountain, for instance, just say, go jump in the lake. No shuffling, no shilly-shallying, and it's as good as done. That's why I urge you to pray for absolutely everything, ranging from small to large. Include everything as you embrace this God life, and you'll get God's everything. And when you assume the posture of prayer, remember that it's not all asking. If you have anything against someone, forgive. Only then, only then, will your heavenly Father be inclined to also wipe your slate clean of sins. I thought that was just, it, it's priceless. It is just absolutely priceless. So it was also Peter <laughs> who asked questions of the risen Christ. Turn over to John's gospel, and we're going to look at 21, John 21, verses 20 through 23. And is it in my thing? Oh gosh. Okay, this is when I have to do my trusty phone. And I have to believe that it's gonna work. Okay, here we go. Come on. Hmm, I want you to see this. Okay, John 21. Okay, verses 20. Okay. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one, now we already know who that one is, right? Okay, who was it? Okay, good. The one who also had leaned back on his chest at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So when Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? What is in his future? Jesus said to him, if I want him to stay alive until I come again, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, the reason I think that is just so wonderful, and then verse 23 says, so this word went out among the brothers that his disciple John was not going to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die, but only if I want him to stay alive until I come again, what is that to you? The reason why those verses are so important is because first of all, Peter's asking the question, okay, that's Peter, we know he's gonna ask. 
Jesus answers him, but his answer is almost like saying, it's none of your business, okay? Because you're supposed to be following me. Just like we as Christians, don't get caught up in all the minutia of stuff you do not understand that's going on. If you're following Jesus, keep your focus on Jesus. Put blinders on. Don't get caught up in sister so-and-so and brother over That has nothing to do with you. It's none of your business. Stay focused on what you are supposed to do. I thought that was priceless. And then here's the other thing. See, these are simple little verses, but they're full with so much. Because what was the other thing that this verse said? A whole bunch of rumors started because it started circulating that John was not going to die. That's not what Jesus said. But, you know, people started talking about the telephone game. It just keeps going on and on. So they created this whole fiasco that was a lie. That's not what Jesus said. Again, we can learn from that. When you hear, you know, the worst thing, or I will say the one thing that the enemy does, again, with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, is try to create little factions and divisions in the church. So that, well, this person says so-and-so, and oh, that person said. And before you know it, you can have a church of 100 people split up into 10 different groups. Are you kidding me? That's not God's intent ever. So we can't get caught up or allow ourselves to get caught up in that. And I have to stop because I'm just really out of time. And I have to stop because there's something else I have to go over with you that is going to take a little time. So I don't want to go way over because I do respect your time in being here. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 945 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.